Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you've been around Oasis uh, for a, a few years, you'll know that in 2019 through to 2020, we started a series in the book of John. Now at this point, we're not now pressing play uh, to continue where we kind of stopped in March 2020, but rather we're gonna look at it through a lens of Jesus's invitation in John 10:10, where he says that he's come to bring life to you and to me, uh, whether we're in the room, whether we're online, whether we're watching at a different point, whether we know something of Jesus, when we think we know nothing of Jesus, that he's come in order that we could know life and life in full. And it's that that we want to look at because as we continue in the book of John, what we're going to discover is John begins to paint a picture of what that life in full looks like. John 20, verses 19 to 31. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Um, thanks, Michaela, for reading. That was wonderful. Um, and uh, just conscious that there's a lot of faces in the room that I don't know. Uh, so I thought I would quickly say who I am. 
Um, so I'm David, married to Neris, who's at the back uh, over there. Three uh, wonderful children who are all in the midst of uh, exam trials and tribulations or approaching them at the moment. So Anna doing A-levels and Dan and James doing GCCs. Blessing, blessing to all of you in that circumstance at the moment. Um, so we've got uh, a wonderful sort of household of stress at the moment, exam, exam journey. Um, we've been part of Oasis, I think, for about 20-odd years now. Uh, so have, and have loved being part of Oasis and the building of this family and the journey that we've been on. Um, as a day job, I have the privilege of working on an exec team for a, a large waste and recycling company uh, where we look after 10,000 people who basically uh, do lots of wonderful things to keep our streets clean and recycle commodities, and that's, uh, that's what I do day to day. Uh, but that is not what I'm going to talk to you about today, although I'd love to. Um, we're talking today about Jesus and his interaction with the now famous doubting Thomas. It's really unfortunate, isn't it, when names are given a bit of a negative twin. Um, so I don't know if there's any Susans in the room, but has anyone ever heard of a lazy Susan? A lazy Susan, if you didn't know, I didn't know actually, is, is the center wheel on a table that turns around uh, to have food on it so you can kind of spin the wheel and get to the food. Um, and apparently, I didn't know this either, but Thomas Jefferson invented the Lazy Susan in the 18th century. So it was said that Jefferson invented it because his daughter complained when she was always served last at the table. And as a result, she never found herself full leaving the table. Um, and so they invented this. It was a, a, a dumb waiter that then got nicknamed a Lazy Susan. The odd thing about this story is that Thomas Jefferson didn't have a daughter called Susan, um, so, which is incredibly unfortunate for all the Susans in the world. Um, across time have then had to live with that connotation. Have any of you ever had uh, a nickname that you, uh, you didn't like? You know, maybe Dodgy Dave. <laughs> not, not, not one I've ever had. <laughs> or there's a, a Desperate Dan, a Dan over there. Um, or a Dennis the Menace, this is showing my age now. Um, well, we've come to the story of Doubting Thomas. Uh, and we're going to see that, like a lot of nicknames, actually, this name isn't very fair. Uh, we're going to come on to see that. Um, as it happens, though, I guess around doubt and uncertainty, those are very real issues in our society today. We've been hearing uh, a bit this morning about some of the events going on in the world. We live in a period of incredible doubt, of fake news, of uncertainty about everything, the want for evidence... We've been hearing about the Russian and the Russians and their sort of di disinformation campaign against the Ukrainians. And we live actually in a time of great cynicism and doubt about faith as well. Who was Jesus? Can we really believe the claims that he made about himself? And that's a big reason why John wrote his gospel. And in fact, we've just heard from Michaela that in passage ends in verse 31, it says... But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. I want us to consider this morning the issue of doubt and how we can know certainty in our faith and also to consider the role of suffering and the doubt that that can cause in our hearts. And we're going to come back to that point in John uh, that he's making in verse 31, that we might believe and not doubt and that we might receive life in his name this morning. 
So we're coming to the conclusion of the book of John. It's been a wonderful book to study, hasn't it, over quite a period now. We see the risen Jesus appearing to his disciples, declaring him to himself to be the bringer of peace. He says, peace be with you in this passage. And we see him imparting the Holy Spirit and declaring, as we see in verse 23, that the message of the gospel that the disciples are going to go now on and carry is going to deeply divide people. That some people that they give this good news to are going to come to believe Jesus and have their sins forgiven. But others are going to be rejecting of that message. Then we come to this really intriguing story about Thomas. Um, And what we're going to find is that this story about Thomas again reveals the glory, the compassion, and the truth about Jesus that we've been reading about through the whole book of John. Now, who, who was Thomas? Well, actually, very little was written about Thomas. In the, if you read the first three Gospels, Thomas is literally mentioned, and Acts, his name is mentioned once, and that's just listed as one of the members of the disciples. But as we see in John, John adds a lot of color around some of the characters uh, in his book, uh, that, uh, in his gospel, uh, and he's really keen for us to know more about him. So in John, we find out that Thomas is actually a really bold character. So in going back into the story of Lazarus, when Jesus, uh, Jesus's life was really under threat, Thomas is the one who declares, uh, or you know, John tells us, he says, let us go also that we may die with him. So this was Thomas's declaration uh, as Jesus was suffering Uh, or or was suffering a lot of persecution. So it's a bold and a a dramatic statement. Uh, Now, I've got twin boys, and actually, interestingly, Thomas's name, or Didymus, means twin, and maybe it was the case that Thomas was the one who needed to learn how to speak up um, and be, you know, speak loudly to be heard. Um, We know also that he was a natural asker of questions. Later in the Gospel, when Jesus was talking cryptically, to his disciples about his own death, Thomas asks a question. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? To which Jesus famously responds, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's a question which has unlocked an incredible truth from Jesus, which, is going to, which has been repeated across history So it seems that John, in writing this, wants us to understand that Thomas was a bold character whose relationship and boldness with Jesus was a vehicle for God's truth and glory to be revealed. And that's an important first point for us to grasp because perhaps our questions in our hearts can also be a vehicle for God's truth to be unlocked in our lives. Your questions are really important to God. That leads us to the topic of this particular story. So Thomas... His questions weren't finished. So after Jesus had risen from the dead and we celebrated Easter last weekend um, and he first appeared to the disciples, uh, Thomas wasn't there. So he wasn't in the room when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. And frankly, when the disciples explained to Thomas that Jesus had appeared, um, he didn't believe them. He declared that he needed first-hand evidence to believe this. He needed to see the nail marks in his hands and put his finger where the nails had been and put his hand into Jesus' side. Otherwise, he would not believe. Now, if you Google Doubting Thomas, um, you'll find an old picture. This is the first thing that came up when I did it. Depicting Thomas actually poking his finger into the open side of Jesus, who 
who, who suffered that wound on the cross. I don't know, I, I didn't find that image particularly helpful, but I think that image is really provoking as I'm going to go on to talk about. We find in this passage that Thomas actually now wasn't in a good place. His hopes in Jesus had been dashed. His trust in his fellow disciples was destroyed. He would not believe them. He just refused to believe that anything good was going to come out of the events of the last week of seeing Jesus, the one he loved, had followed, crucified, and killed. He would only accept hard evidence. He was a man who was actually retracting into himself, saying, I'll be the judge of what's right and wrong, what's true and what's untrue, and I don't believe it. I don't believe Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, at the start, I said it was, uh, it was wrong to call Thomas out as doubting Thomas, and it's unfair, because the first point we've probably got to take from this story is actually, we're all Thomas. We all doubt, but Jesus longs to meet us in those doubts. He longs to meet us with our questions. So I'm Thomas, and you are Thomas, but the only real difference between maybe Thomas and us is actually Thomas was the one who had the guts to speak out and say what everyone else was thinking. So really, you should be called Honest Thomas or Bold Thomas. So there we go. Let's turn it into a positive. So the truth is that none of us come to a place of faith, to a place of faith from a place of certainty and without questions. And I'm sure if you're here and you've been a Christian a number of years, um, your, question, your questions continue. Those questions continue. We all suffer the same condition and sin as all humanity, and some of, some of that we've been hearing about this morning. But the Bible is a long story, and it starts with a perfect world made by a loving God, where humanity was placed in a perfect garden, completely close and at one with our Heavenly Father. But then in front of the first humans, Adam and Eve, he placed a tree, which represented a choice about whether to trust God to define what is right and wrong, what's good or bad, or to trust themselves, like we see Thomas doing in this passage. And rather than trusting God, we know that they took the apple uh, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they trusted in their own ability to define right and wrong. They ate of the tree, and that tragedy struck us all. They're expelled from the garden into a world of chaos, of humans getting our own way, of making our own choices, of defining what's right and what's wrong for ourselves. The ongoing mess and destruction that we see across history and covering, sadly, the pages of our newspapers today, as Joe talked about this morning when he shared, a life of humanity without God. But the story doesn't end there. The Bible is a whole series of stories which lead and conclude in the life of Jesus and the work on the cross to redeem people and lead them to receive new life. And ultimately, then he'll lead us to a new garden, a garden city where we'll live with him forever. And in this passage, we're about to experience the powerful work of the cross of Jesus and his love in transforming Thomas's heart and mind, a miracle which has been repeated countless, in countless people's lives over the last 2,000 years. And rather than rejecting Thomas and his questions and his disbelief, Jesus does exactly the opposite. He welcomes him 
to come and touch him and experience firsthand his transforming presence. And Thomas, rather than being held up as someone doubtful and to be ridiculed, is the very pattern of what Christ came to achieve on the earth, to transform us, to transform doubting, self-righteous humans into children of God. On being welcomed by Jesus to touch him, what does Thomas exclaim? He says, my Lord, my God. And that's the very heart of the gospel, stepping into Jesus as our personal, into belief in Jesus as our personal Lord, bowing our hearts to our creator and receiving him. And so we see Thomas that his doubts are then purged. He's experienced and seen Jesus and he believes, but how then do we go on believing? How do we go on through this life with all that it throws at us, believing and not doubting? Well, we need to consider what the passage teaches us about how our relationship with Jesus sustains our faith. Is it possible to live our lives and not be plagued by doubts about the authenticity of our faith and the truth of what we believe? I think we should just think about the image of the passage uh, before us. So Thomas moves from being a distant critic of Christ, unable to believe with his logic and his need of evidence, standing back with cynicism, unwilling for his heart to be moved or stirred by faith. And Jesus welcomes him. He brings him close. In fact, he invites him to touch the very wounds that bring life to our wounded souls. And I think just imagining, again, Thomas touching those wounds, this is a posture that speaks of not just a single event in life, but it speaks about the way that we're meant to live. Earlier in John chapter 15, Jesus declares, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I will in you, and you'll bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the posture a place of certainty we have in Christ. A life-giving daily relationship flowing not from a theoretical understanding of who he is, but the truth that flows from a life that's lived on a daily basis in his presence. Jesus says uh, in one of the other Gospels that people who listen to his words and put them into action are like those who build their house on a rock. When the waves and the storms come, including doubts about our faith, the house stands firm. And that's the certainty that a life living to Jesus brings. As I've been a Christian, I would say, quite a long time, probably about, um, I think it was about age five, I decided to uh, start following Jesus. Um, And as a teenager, I used to go on uh, a Bible camp on the Isles of Scilly, of all places, for a couple of weeks, a beautiful place to go. Um, and uh, when we were there, we'd, we'd do various things. We'd study the Bible, but we'd also go and join one of the local churches on the Isles of Scilly uh, each Sunday and, and worship with them. And sometimes we'd actually have those services on the beach. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, but they, the churches over in the Isles of Scilly sang some absolutely wonderful hymns. And because they're in the middle of the sea, and because practically everyone works in something associated to the sea, a lot of their hymns are like attached to things to do with the sea and with seafaring and with ships and stuff. And there's a song actually that we sang there that really struck a chord with me. Um, and the chorus 
went with this. It says, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the bellows roll, fastened to a rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And you know, I listened to that as a teenager and I believed it. And it's been true for me that I have an anchor. Like Thomas, reaching and now connected to Christ. And my anchor, my companionship with Jesus, has kept my soul through very dark times, through ups and downs, and it keeps me now. I have a rock on which I stand, and his name is Jesus. And you know, life, as we know over the last number of years, does not grow any more certain. But you know, he never changes. This is our certain hope, the hope of a life lived with Jesus, with Jesus sustaining our faith. So we've seen that we are all Thomas, we all have doubts, but Jesus is willing us to come close to him and experience him in receiving his redeeming love. And secondly, that our certainty comes from an ongoing and sustaining relationship with him. And we can see both those things expressed in this passage. Just coming on to my sort of third and final point, one area that's a source of doubt to lots of people is the real difficulty that we can have in reconciling the suffering we see in the world and actually the suffering we experience personally uh, with a loving God. Um, Why does God allow so much suffering in the world? And I think it's a perfectly reasonable question because we look at the news We see what's happening in Ukraine and we think, how can a powerful God actually allow this stuff to be happening around us? Or maybe actually you you are suffering personally or you've personally suffered with something that's been going on for a long while and you've prayed about it and you don't see God uh, change those things. And I I think it's an understandable question. And I think the the present passage we're looking at brings a picture of hope and comfort because the more... I read the Bible, the more I realize just how profoundly the Bible speaks about suffering. So rather than shying away from the subject, that really the whole Bible is about the havoc and the curse inflicted on humanity by our constant disobedience to God and God's plan to save us by sending Jesus as our savior to die, die a shameful and brutal death on the cross so that all of us can know life. I think that the image of Thomas with his hand in Jesus' wounded side is one that speaks profoundly about suffering and our ability to reconcile both our personal suffering and the suffering that we see uh, in the world in his presence. Paul in Romans 8 writes about the reality of suffering as a Christian. He, He says, now if we're children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I'd encourage those of you who are struggling with, with suffering to sit with your thoughts and feelings, just with the image of Thomas, with his hand in the wounded side of Jesus, and ask Jesus to speak to you. Personally, I know for myself that where I've experienced testing times in my life, some of those have been times where Jesus' presence has been the most comforting, the most real to me. Not, not sweeping away the stuff that's difficult, but meeting me in that difficulty. Isaiah 53 speaks of Jesus saying that he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Elsewhere in Isaiah, in Isaiah 49, uh, it speaks of God's promise to save us by pointing to the suffering and the wounds that we uh, see Jesus, were inflicted on Jesus. It says, see, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. Some amazing promises for us to receive and to pray through as we consider the topic of suffering. But the challenge of seeing Thomas touching the wounds of Jesus is not only in reconciling our own experience of suffering, but it's also a provocation for us not to take our eyes off the suffering that we see in the world, but to actually actively engage in it. As we consider the image of Thomas with his hand in the open side of Jesus, like elsewhere in the book of John, we're taken back to the story of Genesis. And we'll remember that the first biblical character to have his side opened was Adam. And we know out of Adam was taken a rib, from which God created Eve, who was the mother of humanity. In contrast, who Paul in Corinthians calls the second Adam, he has his side opened on the cross, and outflowed blood and water from Jesus' open side. The church was created, his blood which purchases us, and the water which cleanses us and fills us with the Holy Spirit, as Adrian talked about now a couple of weeks ago. The Bible talks about us as his body, as the bride of Christ, that from his death we've been made a new creation as a body of people called to continue the work of Jesus on the earth, to see Thomas place his hand into Jesus' side is also a picture of the church. We're called to place our hands and our hearts and our prayers into those who are suffering in the world, to bring peace and hope and comfort. And as his bride, as the bride of Christ, we're to share a message of hope with the world and to see many people coming to know life in his name. What an amazing truth and an incredible picture. So just to conclude our time together, I want to emphasize finally what John is saying in this passage one more time. And I want you to bear with me a minute um, because I want to actually use this building as an illustration. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure whether this illustration will work or not. It works in my mind, but I have learned over time that everything that works in my mind doesn't necessarily transpose to what works in other people's minds. So bear with me, okay? now, if you're on the side, uh, if you're near a wall, I'd, I'm just going to touch this building, right? And I would encourage you that if you're near a wall, not many of you are, you can also touch a wall, right? If you're not near a wall, I'd encourage you to maybe have a look at that incredible stained glass window, okay? Uh, and we're just going to use this to stir us um, in a way, in terms of what John is saying. Um, can it, does anyone remember how old this building is? Any guesses? 152 years. Oh, wow. Mike's very accurate. So (laughs) let's just consider that for 152 years, this place has been uh, a place for generations of people just like you and me who have a hope in Jesus And it's been a place where they've met to express worship and service to him for 150 years, generation after generation, which is an amazing 
fact, isn't it? And it's a real privilege that we get to carry that on. I just want us to think, actually, touching this stone, right, that 150 years ago, someone who laid this stone, who cut it out and put it in place, shares the same hope in Jesus that I have today. Actually, the people who oversaw this building and built it are doing it because they believe in the coming kingdom of Christ that we believe in today. And I just think that's amazing. But even more amazing, right? You times this building by two. I'm just going to use 150 mics, sorry, just to keep the maths um, easy. So 300 people, 300 years ago. If you go back 300 years in Birmingham, do you know, you'll find sisters and brothers who you could have equally break bread with, share your faith with, share exactly the same hope in Jesus that you share which is amazing. It's amazing how the truth of what Jesus did has been handed down from generation to generation. But bear with me a bit longer, right? Okay, so if you take 150 years and you times the age of this building by nine, okay? So we're going back 1,300 years. And again, in this country, you go back to, what was that, the sixth century? Again, you'll find people in this country who shared the same hope in Jesus that we share today, the same hope uh, in him. All right, we can stop touching the walls now. It's getting a bit weird. <laughs> but I don't want to stop there. Amazingly, 150 years, if you just times that by 13, okay? 13 times 150, and you transport yourself back to a room, an upper room in the Middle East, you'll be in the presence of Jesus and John and Thomas and the disciples and you'd be in the middle of this story and that thought blows me away because you know we're not that far away. And what does John, now that we're in his presence, who wrote this book, have to say to us? What would John say across time, across 2,000 years from this scroll which he wrote and which has been preserved and passed down through history Well, John takes us even further back in time because John, who's now in front of us, he met the person who is the very author of creation, Jesus. John opens his mouth to us this morning and he speaks to us today and he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John speaking at the beginning of the scroll that he wrote. At the end of the scroll that we're looking at now, after explaining everything he's told us about Jesus' life and death, John is categorically declaring the resurrection of Jesus to be a historical truth. He's saying, I saw the nail marks. I saw the wound in his side. It's true. And you know, Thomas, Thomas, who is always asking questions, he never believes anything. He didn't believe us. He wasn't there. But then actually he saw him and he now believes us. 
And I'm now writing this down to you. Yes, you in the 21st century that you'll believe too. And Jesus said, you know, that those of us in this room who haven't seen him and yet we believe, do you know what he called us in this passage? He says that we're blessed. We're blessed this morning to have believed and not to have seen him. And if we're to really receive what John is saying today in our world of cynicism and doubt, in an era when it's, it's so easy to say, well, you never really can be sure, can you? Faith is always a bit of a mystery. You know, the Bible's not that hot on historical accuracy. That would be to entirely miss the point of what John is declaring to us this morning. John is declaring that he met Jesus. The word became flesh, that he saw him die with his own eyes, that he saw him rise again. He is alive. He is risen, that we can have life in his name, that today you can say in this room, my Lord and my God just as Thomas did, and you can receive an anchor for your souls, an everlasting rock on which to build your life. This is the good news that John is speaking to us today. There is a hope, there is a certainty that you can reach out and touch Jesus. He welcomes you this morning to touch his wounds, to encounter the life-giving power of the cross, and to be transformed just as he transformed Thomas. Amen. So finally, and I am ending now, um, just some practical encouragement. So how do we remain in Jesus on a daily basis? So firstly, through his word. So just as we've seen the Bible and the Gospels that, and John that we've been studying is a great way uh, to see firsthand who God is and how he responds to us. And reading the Bible on a daily basis is a way we can open our hearts and hear from Jesus that we can remain connected to him study his word. The second way is prayer, to speak to Jesus, to wait silently and hear him, to make time which is just exclusively the two of you. And that time is the place where we can really cultivate that presence of God in our lives, our ability to remain in him. You know, if there's anything you're doubting or questioning at the moment, Jesus longs to hear those questions in that time. And thirdly, as the story talks about our faith is always worked out in community, in our small groups, in our Sunday gatherings, in friendship, and in sharing with other believers. And this is where we can really experience the reality of Jesus through others. And it's another safe place for you to bring your questions to voice your doubts. And lastly, we experience Jesus in serving others, in being the bride of Christ, the visible evidence of Jesus on the earth, his hands and his feet. So just as an encouragement to leave you with, which one of those, be it reading the Bible, prayer, fellowship, or action, do we need to cultivate more of this week? Is there anything you need to surface as doubts that you have about your faith? And we would say that you are so welcome to do that here uh, amongst us and to ask questions. And I'll leave you with those questions. So I... um, I'm just going to probably ask us to stand and I think I'll close in prayer at this point. Yeah, Jesus, we just want to thank you for this morning, for your word to us. Thank you for your graciousness, Lord, in speaking to us. Lord, just thank you for that message that came through so strongly in the worship of your love for us. 
And Lord, I just pray for those here and those listening online who are just considering you at the moment, considering who you are. Lord, we just welcome you to reach out, to touch them, to reveal your love, Lord Jesus. Lord, so many of us in this room can just have story after story of how you've provided for us, how you've watched over us, our Lord, that you are the vine with a branch, Lord, and we just remain in you. Jesus, we just pray for your power to come now, Lord Jesus, just as you reveal yourself to, to us, Lord. And Lord, I just want to pray for those who are experiencing suffering. And I just welcome, Holy Spirit, for you to come in comfort. And that we know, Lord, that that is why you died, that you stand with us, that you share with us, Lord and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to bring comfort now, the comfort of your presence. Yeah, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your word to us, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.